Welcome to the Redeemer Community Church Podcast. The following audio is from Redeemer Community Church, located in Johnson City, Tennessee. We hope it will be encouraging to you as you listen. Well, Friday night, um, we went to our daughter's um, fall festival at her elementary school. And the PTA put together these little baskets where people make donations and, and then you can bid on the basket um, and hopefully get a deal. And so there, you, maybe you can rent out a gymnastics place or get some karate lessons or a couple months to CrossFit or, or different things. And so we were aiming for the baskets that could double as kids' birthday parties, thinking this would be good. This is a win-win. And we missed them all. Apparently those are, those are hot commodities, but we did win the as seen on TV basket, right? Like just filled with the stuff that you can't buy in stores. You've got to order it online. And, and my fear with as seen on TV stuff is that there's probably a reason why they don't want you to be able to handle it and look at it in person, right? What if it doesn't work? I mean, how many people have bought the city kitty where you can toilet train your cat, and if you bought it, can we please get some social media on that today, right? Or, or how many marriages were struggling and thought, you know, this marriage saver blanket could really do the trick. I think that's what's been missing. Um, or the Floby. Is that, that thing's still around, right? Like I remember showing up in second grade and getting one of those haircuts, right? But, but the as seen on TV products, a lot of times they look awesome in commercials, and who are the poor souls that struggle in infomercials, right? Just like, I can't pour a drink. And, uh, and so, but like, they look great. They look like they solve a problem. But generally when you get them, they don't work like you thought they would. Have you ever bought something like that? Maybe you saw it on Shark Tank, uh, infomercial, Sky Mall Magazine. And you, you bought it thinking this is going to be a game changer, only to find out that it, it didn't live up to what you thought it would. Well, in scripture there's this picture that's painted of the church where, where God's church is being built up. It's driving back darkness and evil in the world. It's being flavorful to culture. It's preserving morality in such a way that, that humanity flourishes. And it's this powerful force to display God's kingdom. But sometimes the way we preach about the church and see it in scripture And then the way we see it on the ground being lived out in our cities and in the world, it kind of feels like there's a disconnect that that this is what it looks like on TV, but this is how it really functions. And today what we're going to see is that there are, there's this huge danger that basically creates a barrier to the church being what it was meant to be. But we're also going to see that there's this beautiful way to push through that barrier. So what is it that, that tears down the church instead of builds it up so that the church can be what it's meant to be? And what is the one thing that if we get it right, can push through that barrier to allow us to be an active force for God in the world that we live in? So if you've got your Bibles, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, last week, we kicked off a brand new series. We're calling it Messy Church because sometimes church is Messy. And what we saw is that this church in Corinth was, um, it was in a messed up town. And it was filled with messed up people. Um, yeah, but 
these people who are deeply flawed are also, also greatly loved in Christ. The first couple of verses, Paul really gives us a lens to read the rest of the book through. He wants us to rest in God's grace, to labor in his work and to hope in his promises. And now in verse 10, he's gonna start to get to work, all right? Chapter one, verse 10. He says, I appeal to you brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. All right, so, so what's happening here is, is when he says, I appeal to you, brothers, this is intentional language. He's not red-faced and screaming at this church, but he's coming at them in a loving and firm way. Instead of giving them a command and saying, just blindly follow this, he's giving them a warm encouragement that's meant for them to act on. So, so he warmly comes in and says, look, I'm, a, I'm appealing to you. And he appeals by the name of Jesus. The reason why he appeals to the name of Christ is because this culture in Corinth is one that's, that's against authority. They're really skeptical of people who would put themselves in an authoritative position. So he knows that if he comes in and gives direction on how to live, that most people are gonna push back and say, who are you to tell me how to live my life? So he knows that for most people in this church, even though he's the one that started the church, a lot of them aren't respectful of the position he holds. And so he says, look, I'm not appealing by me. He's saying, what I'm gonna talk about is something that Jesus would sign his name on. This is something that Jesus finds important. So, so what's he warmly encouraging them with? What, what's he saying is important to Christ that they need to know? He wants them to agree. He wants them not to be divided. He wants them to be united in what they're thinking and the way they're acting on those thoughts. Now, the words he, he's using are words that give imagery, right? And so when he talks about no divisions, that, that word division is used to paint a picture of a piece of cloth being torn apart, when he talks about being united, the imagery there is a fishing net being knit back together. And so it's the mending of nets. And so if you think about that, when we're torn apart, we're, like, we're, a, we're meant to be useful like a net, but when we're torn apart, we can't accomplish the work we're meant to accomplish. So he's saying, look, we need, to, we need to bring this thing back together. So what he's saying is, you guys have forgotten who you are in Christ, and because of that, you're tearing apart the community with these pointless divisions. And we've got to bring this thing back together so we can be useful for the mission that God has called us to. Verse 11, he says, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, another word for Peter, or I follow Christ. And so what's happening here is there's this, this lady named Chloe, and she's probably one of the first converts to Christianity in Corinth. And she, she's, she's fond of, of Paul and the ministry he had there. And she knows that the way he established the church to be and how the church is actually functioning is not looking right. And so as a wealthy person, she probably bankrolled a lot of the church and its ministry. As a wealthy person, she funds the way for some people to go and find Paul and report to him what's going on. She's saying, look, something's broke, something's messed up. We need to let Paul know so he can come back and try to, and try to fix this thing. So Paul says, look, I, I got word from 
Chloe's people. And he said that there's quarreling among you. So what's going on is, is it says that some people follow Paul, others Apollos, some Peter, and some people say, I follow Christ. Now, historically, what you have here in, in this, this culture in Corinth is that there were these people called orators. Orators were public communicators who were seen as celebrities that basically spoke into cultural issues. So think about a, a cultural commentator. You're, you're Jimmy Kimmel type person or, or the person that can speak into cultural issues where they carry weight, but people look to them and put them up on a pedestal, all right? So people would pick issues, talk about them, unpack them with well-crafted speeches and arguments, and then people would see the two different sides and go, I'm with this guy. They would pick their guy and then stand for those public debates in other circles, now, this was, a, this was a mentality that existed in the culture politically and for other social issues. And what happened is they took that idea of picking your orator and sticking with them, they brought that into the church. And so they're looking for people that have public platforms to speak, so who are the pastors of the church, and then they would elevate them a little too high and say, I'm with that guy, All right. And, and so Paul, Paul is the person who's, who's reaching people. I'm becoming all things to all people so that they can know the hope of Christ. So, so the Paul people are the, I want to be about outreach. It's about getting out there and helping people know Christ. Apollos was known for being a great philosopher, someone who defended the faith with, on, a, on intellectual grounds. And so the people that were with Apollos were more along the lines of, no, no, I want to stand up intellectually to other people's worldviews and build a case for why Christianity is true and these other areas are false. And then Peter is, you're your bold, I'm going to stand up, I'm going to be courageous. These are the people that are just, we're going to go and we're going to die for what we believe in. We just need to be more bold and passionate about our faith. And so people are picking their different camps and saying, this is what I'm about. This is what Christianity is about. And Paul's saying, no, 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 you you." You have overemphasized human leadership. I mean, it's, it's not about just one of these issues. It's like, we need to hold all of these in a balance. And there's this one group that says, oh, I follow Christ. And you might look at that and think, oh, well, at least 25% of them are getting it right. But the fact that Paul mentions it in the same breath as these other people, these aren't people who are rightly following Christ. These are what we might call team Jesus people where the first group overemphasized human leadership, these people underemphasized it. These are the type of people who would say, well, well, I don't need Christian community because I have such a close relationship with Christ that I'm good on my own. I don't need people to speak into my life because I have a relationship with Christ. I don't need to gather with other people to worship because I have my own little thing going on. These are people that were more centered on themselves than they were others. And so they're not getting it right either. So all these people are getting it wrong. All right. Then what does Paul say here in verse 14? He says, I thank God that I baptized, or he says, verse 13, he says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for, for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and, and Gaius so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. And so what's happening here is, is Paul has a senior moment, right? He's like, ah, I'm trying to remember who all I baptized, which is a neat thing because this is a real letter written to real people, right? So, so you might look at that and go, why is that in there? It's a real letter written to real people. But in verse 13, he's asking three rhetorical questions. And the answer to each one is no. Is Christ divided? No. No. 
Was Paul crucified for you? No. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. And so what he's looking at is there's a group of people who believe that the power of Christ to live in us and through us was reserved for just the spiritual elite. And he's saying, is Jesus divided up like that? No. Like the power of Christ isn't just um, reserved for the spiritual elite. It's something that's given to all of us. Or when he asks, was I crucified for you? Were you baptized in my name? He's saying, when you're, when you're putting your faith in someone, are you hoping in my life being perfect for you to make you right with God? The answer being no. He's saying, if you're hoping in Christ's perfect life for your right sing with God, then it makes sense that he should have your greatest allegiance. He should have the greatest allegiance. All right? And, and so what we see here in Corinth is that instead of the church being built up to be a powerful force in displaying God's kingdom, it was being torn down because of pointless divisions, right? Instead of the church being built up as a powerful force in displaying God's kingdom, it was being torn down by pointless divisions. And pointless divisions are just as dangerous and prevalent today as they were then. And so what, what, what's Paul trying to point us to here? Well, first, he's showing us that unity is important. He wants us to see that, that unity for the church to be effective, for the church to be useful in the work that God has called us to, we've got to be together. You know, we, we just spent a few months trekking through the book of John. And in John, Jesus sits down with his disciples for this last teaching discourse where he goes like, this is the last thing I'm going to teach you before I, before I go. I'm preparing you guys to live life after the cross. And in that time spent with his disciples, he shows them, I mean, he commands them for unity. He gives them a a command. I'm commanding you guys to be one in Christ as I am one in the father. He prays for it. I mean, Jesus is praying his, his last prayer to his disciples and he's pleading with them. He's saying like, I'm praying that God would keep you guys together because he knows that one of the biggest dangers, one of the biggest barriers to the church being the force it was meant to be is disunity within it. So he, he prays that they would stick together. That they would model the oneness that the father has with the son. And then he goes as far as to say, look, the world, the world looks in at the church And he says, the world has every right to judge the validity of your testimony based off of how they see your unity and love for one another. And so Jesus saw unity as being extremely important to the mission of the church. And Paul's picking up on that and he's seeing the effects of disunity in the church in Corinth. So he's pleading for them to be together. You see, for Christians... Our relationship to one another should be ones of of unity, partnership, joy, trust, and grace. But this isn't always our reality, is it? If you've grown up in the church, how many of you have seen a church split? Where the church isn't celebrating sending people off, they're trying to repair from having people leave. How many of you have seen people fight over which denomination is more biblically sound? How have you ever, have you ever seen that, that argument or that dialogue happen in an unhealthy way 
right? Have you ever seen people divide over things that you're going, is this something we should be divisive over, right? As, as much as we should be unified, it's not always the case. But for our unity to be truly useful in being the church God has created us to be, we have to know what it is and what it isn't, all right? We have to know what unity is and what it isn't. All right, so, so first, what, what is unity? When we, when we talk about this word, what is unity? It, it's as simple as I can put it, unity is being united in Christ, okay? It, it's just not give a, I, I wrote out a way more complex definition that sounded beautiful and I could throw it in a book or something, right? That's not like, let's just be as simple as possible. Keep it simple, silly, all right? <laughs> Kiss. Unity is being united in Christ. Let's just keep it there, okay? It's being united in Christ. Here's what it's not. Unity's not uniformity. Sometimes when people think about being, being unified, they think, okay, this means we have to dress the same, we have to talk the same, we need to vote in the same political parties, we need to listen to the same music, have the same made-up Christian cuss words, like whatever it might be, they think like we need uniformity, and that's not at all what, what unity is. You see, diversity is one of the things that God uses to paint a beautiful picture of, of Jesus, Right, so if we want to be an accurate picture of Christ to the world we were in, diversity is one of the things that we should be celebrating. Like we need to be more of a diverse church, not more of a uniformed church. Right? So it's not uniformity. Another thing that unity is not. Unity is not turning a blind eye to sin. Sometimes we think like, well, I don't want to point out this issue because if I point out this issue, then someone's going to get upset and maybe they'll leave the church. Or if we talk about sin, then people get a little bit uncomfortable and no one likes to talk about that stuff. So let's just kind of, let's just ignore the junk and just kind of hold on to what's good. But what's happening here is Paul is getting ready to spend 16 chapters talking about all the stuff that's wrong that needs to change. What's crazy is sometimes we take stuff that's culturally normative and say, okay, the church needs to get with it. The church doesn't need to be on the wrong side of history. So if we're going to be relevant in culture, we need to change and, and, and be a little bit more like the world that we're in so that we can be relevant to our, to our society. And, and Paul's looking at a society that accepts all kinds of things. He's saying, no, 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 even though this is accepted in culture doesn't mean it's right for human flourishing. Like we've got to change that stuff. So unity is not just turning a blind eye to sin and ignoring it. And it's also not finding the lowest common denominator. Look, if, if we achieve unity from minimizing core Christian beliefs or changing core Christian beliefs, then we're no longer being faithful to Christ, right? So, so unity is not uniformity. It's not ignoring sin. It's not trying to find what's the lowest common denominator that we agree on. Let's unify around that, All right? Look, look at verse 17. Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Paul's not diminishing baptism. He's still, that's an important thing for the early church, but he's saying that it's not as important as the message of the gospel. In other words, that displays an internal reality. The gospel causes an internal reality, all right? And so, so let's not elevate gospel, the baptism to the level of gospel. He goes, I, I, I thank God, he says, that, that for Christ did not send me to baptize you, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. 
right? He wants to center us on the gospel and the cross of Christ. You see, our call isn't to unite despite the truth of what God's word says, is to unite around the truth of what God's word says. In the pursuit of holiness, A.W. Tozer says, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned with the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which which each one must individually bow. You see, when we each bow to Christ, our hearts are nearer to each other than they could could ever possibly be if we are just seeking unity, okay? So the mission, all right, while unity is important, it's not the mission. So this is what I wanna make sure that we, we, we get across today. While unity is important, It's not the mission. The mission is the gospel and unity is a byproduct of those who are running together. Okay, like if there's one thing for you to get today, I wanna make sure that we understand unity is important. Jesus commanded it, Jesus prayed for it, and Jesus said the world could judge the authenticity of our message based off of how we display it, right? It's important, but it is not the mission. The mission is the gospel and unity is a byproduct. So how, how do we live this out? Like when you think about it, I, I looked up how many denominations are there in the world? There's almost 40,000 denominations that would say they're Christian. That's a lot, right? Like you're like, I got lost count at 10, right? Like almost 40,000 denominations, right? And, and so, so it, within a world filled with so many denominational divides, how in the world could we get back to living out the unity that Paul's pleading for? And so there's, there's something that's, that's really helpful to think through. And this is easier said than done. Okay, there are, there are close-handed things and open-handed things. Okay, we have to unify around what's closed-handed. All right, and, and so, man, do we have all day? No. All right, so, so we, have to, we have to unify around what's close-handed. Some things that would fit into that close-handed category would be to, to rally around what God's word says about God, man, and Christ. Like if, if we look at God, we believe that he's three in one. He's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Like, we, like that is a core belief to Christianity. If we take that out and we say, well, no, no, the, Trin- the Holy Spirit's not a person, it's just God's active force. If we remove Jesus and say, no, he's not fully God, he was just God's first creation, or he was a God, not the God, all of a sudden we've taken an open hand issue and we've tried to pry that open and we cease to be Christian. Then we would be a, a non-Christian religion, right? We would be a, a cult or a minor religion if we remove any of those things from Orthodox Christianity, right? So we, so we have a closed hand around God. We have to close our hand on man. Man is sinful. Like we are all sinful and it is impossible for us to do anything on our own to make ourselves right with God. If we think that we're basically good and that we can work our way back to right standing with God by doing enough good things, we have opened our hand and we cease to be Christians. We cease to be faithful to who Christ is. Another thing we have to to close is Christ. 
if, if we don't believe that he's fully God and fully man, that he lived a perfect life, that he died a sacrificial death, that he rose bodily in physical bodily form from the grave, right? If we take any of those things out, then we, we cease to be Christians. We have to unite around those and say, these are things that we have to be unified on. If we change any of those close-handed things, we are no longer Christians or faithful to the message of Christ, okay? But then you have an open hand, right? And, and I don't know why I just did that. Like, <laughs> it's like a magic trick. Hey, all right, so, but you have an open hand. And so in the open hand would be things like, okay, spiritual gifts, all right? So, so are, are there still people who have the gifts of prophecy, healing, and speaking in tongues? Or did those things stop when we had the canon of scripture closed, right? Like, are, are those, what, what do we do with that? That's not an issue that makes you a Christian or not a Christian, right? And women in ministry, is it egalitarian or complementarian? Like that, that's not a closed-handed issue. Or you might talk about baptism. Like, what if I'm a credo-baptist? What if I'm a pedo-baptist? And some of you are going like, I don't know what that means, right? Like, like, like that's, that's an open-handed issue. Right now, here's the deal, because what happens is sometimes we take these open-handed issues and we elevate them to close-handed, right? And then we cause disunity within churches, right? Now, this is where it gets complex because I think it's good to have a stance on those open-handed things, right? Like like, some people would say, when you're like, how how does the end times work itself out? Um, Like, I think it's good to wrestle with that stuff to study it, to dialogue about it, right? And I think it's even good to say, like, here's what I think is most biblical, right? So I can look at an issue like egalitarianism or complementarianism in regards to to women in ministry. And I can say there's good scholarship on both sides, but here's where I think the better scholarship lies. I think it's good to take a stance on that. And so so what happens within that, with these open-handed things, I think we need to find neighborhoods, Find a neighborhood and say, like, this is kind of where I, where I think I fit. Like, when we study scripture, we're more aligned with each other, right? But you don't need to build fences. And you don't need to create barriers that eliminate the possibility to love and serve on people who are in different neighborhoods, right? And so, as the church, like, let's just face it. The church isn't an in thing in American culture anymore, right? Like it's, it's not just widely accepted and celebrated. Like it's, it's to the point now where Christianity is kind of being pushed into the margins. And so when that happens, like we don't have room to fight and quarrel. Like we've got to be able to cross boundaries, to love on each other, to serve on each other, to, to serve with each other. Like we have to be able to do that, to be an effective witness for Christ in the world that we're in. So, so it's okay to find your neighborhood, Right? Just don't build a fence and fight over it. So what happens when, when someone has a differing opinion than you? Like, I, I can't even count how many conversations I've had where we're talking about a theological issue and someone gets red-faced and mad about their position. And, and here's the deal. Unity, the way that it applies itself is that we dialogue lovingly in those situations. Well, like, hey, like, how did you come to that conclusion? Like, well, yeah, show, show, me what, show me what you're seeing in here. Oh, that's really interesting. Like, this, this is kind of the way that I've understood it. Oh, that's the way you've understood? That's great. Like, and then at the end of the day, if you guys have different opinions, just call it what it is. Man, like, I think that like, my neighborhood's more in, in over here and your neighborhood's over here. And so, like, let's not, let's not fight about that. Let, let's figure out where we can unite, all right? And so, at the end of the day, we're not going to eliminate 40,000 denominations and become a unified, just capital C Christian church. It's not going to happen. 
But we can practice unity in such a way that no matter what neighborhood you're in, you can be effective for the mission that Christ has called you to. The reason why we struggle to live out unity is because we're prideful people and we want to be right, right? That doesn't mean that we ignore stuff and don't study it and wrestle with it, but, but we have to check ourselves when we want to be right and say, what's more important in this moment? To posture myself with humility, to dialogue openly and lovingly, or to stand on a hill and die. Sometimes you have to stand on the hill and die but most of the time you don't, all right? So, so if we wanna be humble people that live out unity, we've got to look to Jesus as our greatest example. The cross that Paul is pointing us to, the gospel, the mission, right? Shows us that Jesus tore down barriers and crossed boundaries as he left heaven stepping into our world to live the life we couldn't, to die the death that we deserve so that he could offer us the life we could never earn. And if Jesus laid his life down, then there are so many ways that we can lay ours down for others as well, especially those who have differing beliefs on secondary issues. So let's celebrate the cross today. Let's look to the mission of the gospel and the hope we have And know that the effectiveness of this hope being shown through us hinges on the way that we love one another. Let's look to the cross and remember it today and boldly proclaim Jesus' life in our place. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done. God, the the world that we're in, you, you haven't put us in Johnson City at this time in history, in the neighborhoods and jobs and friend groups and activities that we're in by accident, God, you want your love to be displayed to a world that desperately needs it. And God, when, when we fight and divide unnecessarily over, over secondary things, God, it tears down the beauty of the gospel message that people so desperately need and it leaves them hoping in other things. God, help us to be together. God, I ask that you would heal relationships with churches in town that have split. God, I ask that you would heal relationships between differing denominations that might have baggage going back 500 years. God, I ask that you would bring your church together around the essentials in a powerful way that we could display your love that you've shown us to the world that we're in. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. We want to respond to that message today. Uh, We have baskets in the back um, on tables, and and that's a place you can drop your Connect card or an offering if you want to do that. But it's also a place where you'll find bread and grape juice to remember that Jesus lived a perfect life in your place, that his body was broken for you and his blood was spilt for you to bring you into a relationship with God. That's good news. And we want to think on that to the point that it humbles us and creates in us a more loving culture towards the people we're around, specifically those who are other Christians. Um, If you're not a Christian, uh, I would ask that, hey, this is kind of a family meal. It's something that we do to remember an internal truth that's real for us or that's true for us. I would ask that, you know, hold back on the table, um, but spend some time reflecting Maybe, maybe the very reason that you've struggled to come to Christ is the fact that you see so many divisions. 
And if that's you, just please know that that's not the heart of Christ and we want to see healing there. And, um, and, and let that be a barrier that comes down for you if that's what's holding you back. My prayer for you is that you would come to know Christ in a personal way. If you have any questions about that, about that grab someone, talk to them, come up and talk to me or someone you've seen up here leading worship or around the room. We'd love to tell you more about that. But wherever you are, let's take this time to respond. Thank you so much for listening to this audio from Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. You can connect with us and find out more information at RedeemerCommunity.com.